Hello and welcome back to Artistically Ours Newcast podcast, the podcast where I t- discuss art- autism, neurodivergency, and whole host of things under the bell of new being neurodivergent and neurodivergent issues. Today's episode is with Luke Poulton. Luke Poulton is a comedian from Essex. We discuss his career in uh, comedy, stand-up, and what it is like to be an autistic stand-up comedian, and what people might not understand about the Korean comedy from an autistic person, and how autistic people are funny. We kind of, like, discussed uh, comedy in stand-up in another way in previous episode, but with... Uh, somebody who's dyspraxic, that was Harriet Kemsley, and I discussed, talked to uh, Sarah Rose Gibbs, who's worked on writing comedy and satire on uh, panel shows in the UK on Have I Got News For You, and stuff like that, with, where she had to write for uh, d- different British comedians. So there has been a running theme of talking to comedians, in the on the podcast and if you want to check them out or with all the rest of the series I, and if you subscribe to some found this out I expect I hope you can uh, check out uh they will artistically as they will cast on your favourite pla- podcasting platforms and share these episodes with people you think they would l- like to listen and make sure you can get more listeners to this and share it along. And if you're on like Apple Podcasts or the podcasts and platforms that allows you to do it, please uh, give this a positive review as it helps find people find the podcast and creates a positive word around it. Um, and you can also find stuff about the podcast, including brand new pages right on the uh, new Project dot com, where you can find different information about the guests in a get to know area. Or if you click under the new cast uh, drop down menu on the Project dot com. And for that, you can also find videos linked to YouTube of some of the places where you can watch the interviews on YouTube. And with that, I think we may as well get on in bringing on today's guest, Luke Poulton. So I am, yeah, I'm Luke Poulton, um, and I'm autistic, and I uh, I do stand-up comedy. Um, I've been doing that for almost seven years now. Um, but yeah, that's my. I'm not great at introducing myself, but that's my that's my main things yeah. that I do. <laughs> so, when I start by asking you, like, how did you, like, like you get diagnosed or discover you were autistic? Um, so I got diagnosed when I was in um, primary school. Um, I got diagnosed at seven, um, but it was only after my parents had noticed like a few things. But it was a person that was in the class that had approached my parents and said, uh, "I think Luke might be autistic. Have you?" you checked and and then that's when my parents took me to go and get a diagnosis i've obviously like the traits you were experiencing at the time and like the traits you experienced and i went throughout your life so what was the, so they said what was the experience of oh uh, yeah the, the, like yeah the traits you had then or like the autistic uh traits and 
uh, same as yeah, does a change then. Um, so I think I think the most things were because the reason the teacher was sort of noticing is that I had my speech was quite was quite late, and um, it's just how I was never really sort of concentrating in class and wanting to do more of the the things that I was interested in. That's why the uh, sort of the teachers noticed um, that type of thing. That's why they went to my parents because of how I was being in class. Yeah. Oh, does that like kind of like develop into your like teenage years and into how you know like your autistic traits now i'd say my so it took a long time for my so it wasn't until sort of i was in primary school that i've met more people that my speech got better and my sister helped with a lot of that as well and then i think in my teenage years even the way that I would speak and the way that I would interact with people um, wasn't wasn't the best, and it's it's only really been when I, when I got to twenty five and I started doing stand up comedy that I felt that my confidence got a lot better because I was performing in front of people and I felt I was able to speak a lot better. Because when, even when I because I was always making because I make video like video content now, but even when I look back at making video content when I was a teenager, um, my speech is a bit sort of all over the place is the way that I spoke. Um, so I feel like it has got better as I've grown up. And so how was it that you started doing stand-up comedy? And there was, uh, like, as I said before then, you know, up until the age of 25 years, to lack in confidence and, like, uh, speaking and, you know, like, uh, communication. And it's, like, something all of us, like, kind of, like, with stand-up comedy, you were able to find confidence with. So was it that... You started stand-up comedy, and that you end up, you know, feeling confident with that. Yeah, definitely. Def- stand-up comedy, I think, was the thing that helped me the most because before that, I was still not very confident. I couldn't really start a conversation with people, and I think when I started stand-up comedy and speaking about sort of things that I liked, speaking about my autism, it helped me sort of get out of my shell a bit more because I used to sort of be not really want to speak to people. Um, and connect with people that that well. So I think, yeah, that's what helped me build my confidence a lot more. So what was it your idea to do stand-up or was it like somebody recommended the idea of maybe you'd be quite good at train stand-up comedy? Um, so I'd been doing with, because I'd been on YouTube for, for quite a while and I'd been writing sketches and making sketches on there. And then um, my girlfriend and I, we started going to a comedy night nearby us and we went to that quite a few times. And then it got to a point where I was sort of like, oh, well, I already write stuff. And I approached the person in the night being like, could I come and do a spot? Because um, my girlfriend was sort of pushing me to say, go on, you should you should give it a chance. And then from there, going up to the MC and speaking to them of, of the comedy night, they, uh, they were like, yeah, come along and do do a spot. And I did. And then from there on, I've just carried on yeah, doing comedy. Well, that's quite a good thing to be able to find the confidence and be able to like say, Oh, I went to try and have a spot on the, the comedy night and, you know, like, to be able to try to do that. So that's quite a good thing. And to, like, be able to have the confidence yourself and, you know, kind of to have the initiative to ask somebody for that. Because, as you said, you know, like, until then you were quite shy and, you know, like, it's, oh, like, it's usually, like, like speaking for years and then so it's like a big thing to find that step on your own yeah def- definitely was yeah to be able to sort of do that was it was scary but I'm, I'm very glad um that i was able to do that uh, so you were saying with like you know up until before doing stand-up comedy we're doing uh sketches online and different comedy sketches what uh type of comedy sketches were you doing on and what were the themes and topics you were focusing so, on so when i did when i was on youtube i was at first i was doing a lot of movie reviews but I was trying to fit sketches into that to connect to the to the movies but then I did start doing a lot of sketches about autism as well about like the stereotypes and how I was treated so I was doing that before 
doing yeah. stand-up comedy and then I was realised that with because of doing those sketches and writing those sketches that I then could bring that into my stand-up comedy as well so I think that's what sort of helped me yeah. even seems more like, uh, it seems like the, your focus interests interest through like a kind of like this starting point of when you were trying to like to make content and trying to like make content where you started to speak and present something to an audience yeah def- definitely yeah that was yeah that was where it all, all came from yeah because like I see like you're like still you know like posting different like TikToks or Instagram reels and your uh, focused interest whether that's like Royalist Gromit pairs dispensers <laughs> and different stuff like that yeah that's that's the good thing that I found about um with on with making online content I can make a lot of stuff about my interest and it's quite nice because when I wasn't in when sort of the pandemic started and I wasn't able to do stand-up comedy I found that I could go online and still be able to make sketches and still get the comedy out there that I would have wanted to be able to do on stage um, so that's one that's one great thing about being yeah, online and, think, and making content and i think that probably helps you grow your audience then yeah definitely definitely do yeah yeah so uh as you were saying that you know like end up doing a stand-up comedy then so like how long have you been going over that so it, i started in june um 2016 so in this year it will have been um seven years that i've been i've been doing it um for as you were saying that before then you were like like you know like you had some confidence to see and like so like be, being autistic what are the good things about doing stand-up comedy and what are the you know like things that you find challenging with um so the the good things are being able to sort of will tell my story and be able to tell people on stage and sort of even if I'm talking about something that is quite serious I've been able to still sort of make jokes about it even if it's the sort of the way that people have treated me even if it's a way that they've treated me horribly I can still find a way to make a joke about it and make people understand um, that's the one good thing and I'd say the things that I still find tricky is even though I've done so many gigs now I still I can't look at the audience that's one thing I still do and I think luckily when I go on stage and I sort of introduce myself I say about being autistic and not being able to make eye contact because I'm not like great at that um, and I do look at the floor um, for my whole set but luckily people do understand why I'm doing that so yeah that's the one thing I still find tricky looking at the audience and I was like uh, as a student you know like you like you already run a comedy ward like uh, from like an Essex comedy ward so like I think that must have been a good confidence boost and boost that even though like as you said you might not have been doing the typical things of making eye contact that some of the like the like you can be still fiving industry while like you're doing your like autistic ways of doing comedy you know yeah definitely with with winning that award that was definitely something that sort of made me because there's there's times where you sort of with comedy you do doubt yourself and think oh i'm not that good um there's people that are like it's not it's sort of you you feel like imposter syndrome almost that you're never going to be as good as other people and then when i won that award it was was sort of it was shocking for me but i was also very happy at the same time that i sort of was like okay i i am good enough i am i can do this oh yeah that is a great big thing to happen and then, and as you was like, so like looking back there, then you know what was like for life always been the things that like helps you take self care and you know like like help support yourself, you know, with being autistic. Um, so would would you mean just sort of how I would how I was treating myself or yeah yeah <laughs> yeah no, um with sort of when I did doubt myself it was just it was just thinking back about how I, I always sort of even if I have a bad gig or whatever I still always think back to the good gigs that I've had and that I have the people that have approached me or spoke to me after gigs it's always always sort of making sure I, I keep the comments that people said the really nice comments in the back of my mind so even when I do doubt myself 
that's sort of self-care that I have. I have all these, remember all these comments that people have said. Oh, yeah, it seems like you've built up quite, I think, as I said, with, like, people, you know, like, handing on the good comments, as, like, as you say, that builds up the confidence in itself and, you know, like, makes you feel like you're doing doing something right, as you say, you know, like, like, you know, in the industry of comedy, it has come with imposter syndrome and, you know, like, the nerves and the anxiety of going up on stage. I was like, I would not not know how like how, how you would do it because you know, like it is quite a big thing just to go into a like a room where you're just trying to make people uh, laugh or do something funny. And as I think with stand-up comedy, there's a big thing of like like be- being funny, but actually doing it funny and like doing it funny into like a whole set and a whole show. Yeah, no, there def- definitely is. It's it's always hard trying to find out because when you do new material as well it's always sort of understanding if if that bit of material is only funny to you or if people are going to find it funny so it's always yeah it's it's always the 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 craft of making it as funny as you can yeah it's yeah it's a hard craft act and you know like you know uh master but as I said, you like you found a way of like mastering and working on it. As you know, like it does take you know, you know, like time and time again to work on it, and you know, be- get better at it. As like I guess you know, like you had like some good gigs, and then you know, like you do have some probably like you know bad gigs that haven't gone quite well, and you know, like finding ways of working on on that. Yeah, with I think with the with the bad gigs, what I found is. Before the before the pandemic and that, I was sort of I would sort of get bothered about during the pandemic and some of those were very very hard where you didn't even have you couldn't even hear the audience or you couldn't see an audience so that was always hard so even when I do have a bad gig now I'm still happy to have any gig um, that I have now. Yeah. As I said, like the pandemic must have been quite a thing to try to because like I think probably like doing like the Zoom gigs must have been quite hard because you know, like it's not like you got like as I said, even though you don't look at, at the audience sometimes you make eye contact. But still, you know, like probably like having the like hearing the laughter of the audience and you know, like kind of like having that bounce back of the audience kind of like showing like a positive reaction kind of does help. And like if you just got like a screen that you can't always hear, you know, like it probably does feel it quite isolated then. Yeah, it was it was weird because I did I did a few that were through like like YouTube and and Twitch. And there were some times where there wouldn't even it would just be people leaving comments. They were watching yeah. um, but they couldn't be on camera or they couldn't have their sound on. So it's the weird thing because in comedy sort of you learned when you need to leave space after a choke for the laughter, when you can, yeah. how long you can leave all that silence for. And then when you're doing those online gigs, even if you've got a, quite a long set, that set's a lot shorter when you're not having those yeah. laughs in there. So it was very weird. Yeah, because it's like you can't leave pause fix just to yeah. have the, <laughs> like laughter emojis, you know, come up on a screen. <laughs> Yeah, because I would, that's just wouldn't work, you know, like, as yeah, you just, because it'd be just like standing over like, like a moment of silence, really. Yeah, it's just, it's just more awkward than anything when it's, yeah. like you said, laughter emojis just appear on the screen, because you don't know if that's really a moment that you're meant to being silent. As you said, you know, like, your stand-up career has been going good, and like, you know, like, on, and on, like, social media, you say you talk about autism and autism in your gigs, so like, what are the things you tend to talk about? of autism online and you know like in your uh, comedy gigs and you know like what stuff are you trying to make people more aware of or tell people about being autistic um so there's the, the one thing that i've always sort of spoken about on stage is the sort of people still believe in about the vaccines cause autism i try and make people understand that that's not true yeah. and then make jokes about like 
why that's such a silly silly thing that people think about and then I also speak about being in work um that type of thing about how I've been treated in the workplace but I always try and find jokes about that because you know there's a lot of people that get an autistic person in the workplace but they don't really understand how to treat them and I sort of speak on those what's happened in my life there um and then just speaking about how I was at university just making people understand sort of my whole life and how how you should treat an autistic person that's um, so yeah. yeah, what I try and make people aware with the with the comedy. Oh, so what was what's been your experiences of being autistic in a workplace then? Um, so annoyingly, like I, so I used to freelance and I used to go to a lot of different law firms and um, work in banks and that. Um, and there was sometimes people were really good with how they treated you, but there's sometimes people just really didn't understand it. Couple of places I worked in, even when I would send them documents to say about, oh, hit hit, I'm autistic could you read through this? They would never actually read through it after sending documents. Um, one place I did work in, um, even when telling them that I'm autistic, they still sent me to a health specialist um, to get diagnosed again. And then the, the health specialist still turned around and was like, yes, he, he is autistic. Here's the document. He wasn't lying about it. So that was one really weird thing. Um, but luckily in the last... Um, two jobs I've had the and in the current job that I'm in as well the people straight away have have, have understood um one of the managers in my previous place straight away was like oh before you even started I was researching about autism because I wanted to understand more and they were always doing and that place was like they were always doing things to help me at work so that's what I've had recently it's annoying that it took working about eight years in all these different law firms and places to finally sort of get somewhere where they're like, Oh, we want to help you. Cause there's been places before where they act like they're helping, but I had yeah. um, in the previous, in the previous place where they sent me to go for a diagnosis as well is um, I got the light removed above my desk, but then my manager bought a desk lamp and would shine it in my direction. So there was just like horrible things like that yeah. that happened. But in my current job, they've been helpful. As soon as I got there, they'd be like, what can we do? They removed the light above my desk. Um, they've also asked, is there any other things that they could do to help? So it's good in my, in my and in my current workplace, when I, as soon as I started working there, because they also work with an autism charity and they would even have events where they would have autistic people come in or, um, uh, or just have sort of days about that type of thing. Um, so that's one good thing. Um, but yeah, in the, in the current place I work. So I did have horrible places I worked in before, but now I'm finally in, in yeah. these ni- nice places. And I guess that makes you feel a bit hopeful and optimistic about working in the current space you, you are and in. Like, I guess in some of the future workspaces, if like they work in with uh, autistic charities to do some workplace training and more awareness in workplaces, that would help uh, a lot of people like yourself, a lot of autistic people, if they were employees and your co- colleagues could understand a lot more about being autistic. Yeah, definitely. I think... That's one thing I've realised in a lot of these places that I have been before, when telling them that I'm autistic, they've been like, what is that? Which I think still seems sort of wrong in, in this day and age that yeah. there's not there's not even one thing that HR have been sort of, oh, you might have an autistic person working in your workplace. And sort of, I think that's one thing that should be taught um, if, in workplaces, that that's someone that could be working at your work. Yeah, because at the end of the day, you know, in a workplace, there could be anybody of uh, having any disability that you yeah, of course. might not know about, you know, working in your workplace. And there's a few things that you'll like being aware of and like to find ways of being inclusive and accepting of that person. And as I said, not just like 
ask, you know, like when when two match and we and like not really catering to your needs. And so I, as you said, you like are to find ways of advocating for yourself, even though like you always try to disclose and you know like write down or communicate to your employers and your departments like your documents about autism. And as you said, that from a workplace, you know, like your autism diagnosis was rejected for like a second opinion. Yeah, that was that was one thing that still really confused me um to this day as to um and that in that exact same job as well, where they sent me for the diagnosis um two months after getting it in my probation meeting when I because I that was one that was one of the first permanent jobs I got fired from. But it felt like discrimination because they said in my probation meeting that I yeah. asked too many questions. So it's things like that. It's like it felt really wrong the way that I was treated. Yeah, and I guess by asking too many questions, well, asking many questions, we're just trying to be, like, be engaged and so enthusiasm and so interest, really. That's one way of looking at it. And, like, it's got to be taking interest. But as you said, that and sometimes the neurotypical way of in the workplace is, like, they're not always, like, in you asking the, these questions. And so from you, like... Uh, some of the negative experiences in the past and like some of the helpful stuff now in the workplaces you're working in. What are the key things that, like, if you could go back to some of the previous workplaces and or like get any workplace and tell them this is what an autistic person may need, like judging from your own experiences, what would you like think would be the things that would better improve the workplace? I think one of the main things is if someone tells you they're autistic before, an interview as well uh, one good thing that i've seen a few places do is that they tell they say to you oh do you want to come to the to the office early just to have a little look around the building before the interview or even if they just send photos of the rooms that's one that's one thing that i found really helpful or a photo of the outside of the building because if someone just sends an address i still find that quite hard to sort of figure out where it is so i think that's one good thing the workplaces can do um i think if hr um in these places would sort of be more in- inclusive and give people information on, on disabilities. Cause I still feel like that's one thing in workplaces that there's not yeah. enough stuff like that given to them. So that would be a thing that I think would be good. And with, if they're having an autistic person work in the workplace, I think even if HR sort of gives them a list of, Oh, here's the things that this person may need changes with, but also asking if the workplace actually asks that person, what can we do? To change, I think that's always one good. If when I've gone to a place and I've had a manager that straight away asked, "What can we do to change for you? What can we do to help?" I think that's that's always one thing that I'm happy because I didn't have that in previous places. They wouldn't even when telling them, they sort of were just like, "Oh, okay," and they wouldn't try and sort of help with with doing the asking me if I wanted any changes. It was just like, "Oh, you're autistic, okay." That's that's it. They wouldn't really want to ask anymore. So I think that's one thing I would have liked from previous places for them to ask what um yeah. what more I would want. I know, like, you know, like you're saying, like, it's important to ask. And as you said, that in previous workplaces, due to, like, being light sensitive, you know, like, able to have, like, a light removed from, like, above your desk just to make sure your workplace isn't too bright and causing you, like, too much, uh, like, uh, overload when you were working. So what are the other things that, you know, like, as you said, that if you, like, an, if an autistic person is asked for help, what, like, type of things that, they could think of as being what could help them in the workplace. 
Um, I also had, um, well, I had noise cancelling headphones that were given to me because that was one thing uh, that I found quite distracting um, with noises and that around me. And one thing that I also, I, th I think was very helpful is that if I have my desk put it sort of in the, in the middle of everyone, if sort of if my back's to someone or someone's in, in front of me, I can find it quite distracting. So in most places when I've had my desk, I've asked for it to be against a wall so my back's near the walls sort of it's so I'm not got as many distractions with people around me so I think that's one good thing that I think helps as well to sort of be in sort of more of not a corner but sort of more where there's there's not as many distractions in the yeah. workplace I was just saying like if like in a workplace for like if you'd like not work in an office space like I thought as an autistic person or neurodivergent person that you know like I've been in the choice of like what type of workspace and like having, I guess, the continuity of like guaranteed like the same, same space that you could, when you're going into the office, that you can work there and that can be like a bit more of like a relaxed space where, you know, like you got like, it's the right environment for you, as I said, you're not too distracted. And as I say, like having this guarantee of the same like work desk space, like was important to you as like you, you could have like less of the light in. Yeah, yeah. Like, that was that, yeah. that was yeah. That was definitely one thing. Yeah, with having the same desk with the light removed from above. Yeah. And because I've never liked if there's not there's one place I worked in not too long ago, which was where you would never you wouldn't know what desk you were gonna have, and it was hot desk in. And I I didn't yeah. like that because you'd get in and you'd have to go, Oh, is it okay for me to sit here today? And they'd be like, Oh no, someone else sat there. And it's like I never knew where I was gonna be sat. So um that's one yeah. thing that I found quite frustrating because I like to have my my one space I'm going to be sitting in. Yeah, as I said, for like, you know, like being autistic and, you know, like like some have ever like, you know, like invisible disabilities, like in a space of like having like a flexible office, like a way you can like basically like, you know, grab a desk that's free, like, um, you know, can be quite a daunting experience if you're not guaranteed there are, like same uh, like sit to the same desk when you have to go in into work each day and that as I said that can be quite a daunting thing because like it's important then you know like for some person maybe not find them right you know you know like a creative space that you know as I said you're not distracted with like some of that like isn't too like quite allowed or like I or some that you might find is a bit like closer to the people that you you work within your team and that's an important thing like if you got like a yeah. flexible working space to find ways of like thinking oh how do I like fit myself in because like as you say that sometimes with like an, an office space with like more than a with typical friendly setup like hasn't worked for you you know yeah yeah like I said with the yeah with the hot desk in but with where I'm working at the moment we've all got Luckily, I have I have my own space. I've had the light removed above my desk, and um, we've got quite big desks, so we're not too close to each other. Yeah. Um, but I, I get on with everyone that I work with, so we're all sort of in the same space and be yeah. able to interact with it quite, each other quite easily. Yeah, I suppose I I just have to have your own space, and then as I was saying about when early on with the job interviews, it's like important to like like have a clear guide of like where you go into the interview and where, like you where you would be in a building because like to know how to na navigate like the like transport you need to go on to or like the timings of that and so like 
like in your day to day life and all that, is there any like executive functioning issues that you know like you have to learn in in with adulthood how to uh, deal with on your like with like a working career like and uh, doing stand up comedy is there like things you have to like found like you have to schedule and balance out to like manage the executive function and peace with like ensure that you're not burnt out and overwhelmed because as you say you got a lot of commitments yeah so for me so my shifts I, I, I'm always on three different at my current job I'm always on three different shifts so if I know I'm finishing at 6.30 I don't normally book myself on a gig that night because I know if I go straight to a gig after work I'm just going to feel burnt out for the whole, well, when I, even when I get home until the next morning. Um, so I, even if, if I'm on an early shift, I do get a, do a gig because luckily if I finish at 3.30, I can come home and even if it's been sort of a stressful day at work, I can come home, nap, and then go and do yeah. the comedy gig. So that's that's the ways that I work with, um, yeah, working around comedy and doing work. Yeah, I said, you know, like, and that, as I said, that's a good bring in, like, you've got to find your way for, like, balancing out and working out, you know, like, your time. And as I said, it's quite good if you've got, like, like, another creative career with, like, you know, like, a day-to-day job managed and find way that it's not too crammed in and too close. And so when you're not working, why are your uh, ways of relaxing and de-stressing? Um, so that's, that is, for me, it is watching um, movies. I watch a, watch a lot of movies, watch... A lot of Wallace and Gromit <laughs> as well, um, and it's also going to the cinema. Um, and I also really like pinball. So um, there's a play, there's a few pubs near me that have pinball machines. So I really like to go and um, play on those. To sometimes, yeah. I just like you know, like from your social media notice, you know, like you're saying a lot about your focused interests, and I think that's one key thing that's very empowering to see you're like you know, like engaging to see like other people's. Uh, focused interests online and uh, as I you know you say a lot of uh, focused interests have like that role is Gromit ever like TV shows and movies interested with and you know like you manage to work and engaging and fun big and it's nice to see a drive for an artist autistic person's face when you look you're saying that and so what like I guess if there's you can see it brings a lot to joy then, you know, like what, what's a mollusk garbage collecting pays dispensers and all that. Yeah, that's that's my that's the thing that I um I think that's the thing that makes me the happiest is uh yeah, watching watching Wallace and Gromit a lot. I also like to well, collect, yeah, Wallace and Gromit things, but yeah, Pez dispensers is one thing that I, I really got into in so that was in 2021. I've I I'd I'd been collecting them over the years. Um, but there was one where I was looking for um, when I went on holidays to Disneyland Paris. There was one certain pest dispenser which was Violet from The Incredibles. And since 2021, I've just really got more into like learning the history about pests, learning the years of pest dispensers, and just finding out all the sort of. There's, there's a lot of different types. There's not just the normal pest dispensers. There's all different versions that have been released that I, f- I find really interesting to to look into. Yeah, it's like a thing that is quite amusing about being autistic is, like, it, it seems like everyone's got, like, a random niche collection of something, you know, like, like, I've, like, at least at some point, like, somebody could, like, like uh, different autistic people could easily just open a museum about, like, a specific focused interest of theirs, yeah, because, like, you know, like, you end up collecting a lot of uh, random stuff people wouldn't expect. 
yeah, no, def- yeah, there's definitely there's a lot of my yeah, a lot of my friends that sometimes when I, that are autistic as well, and I find out of we we all have our niche things that we like to collect, and it's always quite surprising some of the things that people do like to collect. But it's it's great to be able to speak to each other about yeah. our interests. Yeah, because like I was just saying, it, like it must be important to build and make uh, autistic friends. Then you know, like to have like a community you can say stuff with and like like say interest and say your uh, experiences with. Yes, it's, it's been the one thing that's been great about with with joining TikTok is that I found an autism community on there, and I've been able to sort of meet other people, which um, which has been lovely. I've met a lot of other autistic creators and been able to speak about our interests. So that, that's that's one thing that I found really good about being able to make online content and finding other autistic um, people yeah. to make friends with. Yeah, like I was just said, seen many times in the podcast, you know, like it's. Like amazing what like the like the internet offers you in terms of like finding the community and finding people and you know give you any like like a new friends or new connections and like because like as in real life you know always guaranteed to like find out those connected connections easily with autistic people and make make friends with autistic people that easily and so I and it's quite amazing when it like it feeds back into like meeting people into real life and yeah find that yeah that's that's been really good the one with with comedy as well i've let i've met a lot of other autistic comedians and that's one thing that we've i found great because even though we're we're all doing sort of comedy about autism we've got our own stories and we're all telling different jokes and we can all laugh at the sort of the other things that we're speaking about because people relate to that that's one thing that i've always i've found quite interesting is when i've done um gigs for autism charities and a lot of the audience has been autistic i find that that audience laughs at my jokes a lot more because i know that they're they're connecting to it more and that's that's been a really lovely thing yeah because like i think the comedy sometimes like the most is when that relates to you or like like sometimes say something about yourself and then it's like finding something like saying the jokes so you probably like like but needed to you and then you just end up laughing at them because it's I guess sometimes you know like seeing comedy like I can tend to is like quite a most emotional release of like something funny inside. So like as I said it is probably has been quite important to see other people do comedy being artistic and like being able to see the chance that it's not you just sharing your autistic experience on stage, but there's so many other people starting to want are today doing comedy while being autistic. And like I suppose it helps break the stigma and the ableist stereotype of autistic people that might not be funny. Yeah, that's that's the one thing that I still the people still think a lot that autistic people don't have a sense of humor that we don't understand jokes but that's that's just that that's not true like there's sometimes where i might not understand some sarcasm or a saying that someone said but we we do have a good sense of humor and yeah, yeah. it's it's annoying that there is still a stigma that people think that yeah because everyone's got a different sense of humor and like i think like because like autism is like the autistic community has developed their own culture and like everyone's culture has different like sense of humor, different jokes, different inside jokes and different things that only like if you you know like live that experience like you, you can't can understand. So sometimes probably like if like an neurotypical or all, all a stick person is hearing a, 
or a joke about autistic experience, like it might be hard for them to relate or understand how it's that funny. But I guess it's from like it does take a craft to make sure that another person can find your experience that they uh, don't understand and can't relate to as something that could be universally uh, something that can be laughed with. Yeah, that, that's one thing that I've always tried with mine. If that I want, I want everyone to sort of understand yeah. what I'm. What I'm joking. I think there's sometimes people might think, oh, should should you be joking about that? But it's like, but it's me speaking about my own life. That's why yeah. I've written these jokes because I want people to understand me and understand my own life. So yes, I always I was always want my jokes to to be stuff that everyone's going to yeah. be able to understand. And uh, the comedy's always taken risks. And, you know, like, there's always been, like, controversial things said on stage and in comedy, as that's what's done by, like, some of the biggest comedians. And, like, sometimes it's better, but, like, people making jokes on a topic about the community that stay a community themselves rather than a uh, comedian making jokes on a community or, or, like, a type of people that they are... not a part of or can't identify with. So it's better that, you know, like you're able to be the person that tells tells the jokes on that topic rather than any any everyone else that could get wrong and misreputation or like kind of like teeter on the edge of like mocking or, you know, like, you know, belittling art, artistic people. Yeah, I think that's that's one thing that... um When I was when I was first starting out at comedy, um, there'd be some gigs that I would do where there'd be someone on before me that wasn't autistic, and they'd make like quite a a horrible joke about autism or something, and then I'd go on straight after them and say that I'm autistic. And the funny thing is, is they would come up to me afterwards and start apologising, being like, "Oh, I didn't know. I'm sorry for making that joke." And it just sort of makes me think, if I wasn't in the room, you'd still would have made that joke. I'm written that yeah. joke, but it's it's sort of yeah, catching some some people out that make these jokes without really thinking about it. Yeah, and it's like that when you think about like if like there's a comedian on stage telling jokes about like a certain topic, then there's that uh, you know you're looking in into your audience and it's like because like anybody can book a ticket, you'd, like you don't know their uh, experiences or like. The identities of the people in front of you. So, you know, like as I say, there's always quite risk for that. And you know, like there's always um that you might bend the perfect and then or like say something wrong or say something that you regret if you find out, as I said, like then when you found when you were at that gig and that comedian said that uh, like a, a mock like a joke that kind of mocked autism and then like you like addressed your autism on stage and yeah I guess there are quite awkward moments in comedy with that and where you know kind of like people sometimes put themselves on the wrong foot yeah no definitely definitely yeah there is there's times where I've been at gigs and someone said something a bit wrong and then they just completely lose the audience um but we'll still carry on with with that bit without realizing that the audience yeah I like it, but that's with mine. I've with my comedy, I've never been someone that's sort of punching down on anyone else. It's that I all my jokes are about myself and about my life, or I joke about silly things. But there's ne- never anything that's gonna sort of be hateful or horrible towards anyone else. That's not what I want to do with comedy. 
like a lot of people yeah. do do. Yeah, so like I'll take guess from yourself and I can tell from yourself you're trying to do it from more of an empathetic approach or like a bit more aware of your audience, a bit more aware of like how like your uh, comedy could be interpreted and you know like like I guess you're trying to think of like the consequences and how, how like your comedy could be seen and like what really you want to be saying and what type of things you want to be responsible for saying as like sometimes in comedy it can be forgotten about like how kind of like you are responsible for your own words and like I think Sorry. like you do oh Chrysler bloody Alexa like yeah you know like you're taking responsibility for for your own words and that's for you a mature thing to do in comedy yeah yeah definitely I've yeah it's never you've always got to be yeah responsible for what you say but with me I've never gone out of my way to, to say anything offensive yeah. on stage and I think sometimes that can be like a more uh, thing that I think sometimes people don't understand about like the humor or the empathy of an autistic person. I was like, like because like sometimes we are very conscious of like how people perceive us or see us, and like we never want to be really make people upset or like do like sometimes like offend people to do something out of context, do something that would be like wrong or most often than not anyway and so I think sometimes there can be that extra bit of self-awareness that some people not see yeah no, yeah definitely definitely with that yeah yeah and with your comedy was always been your influences and what like you know like comedic influences and always people inspired you into uh, doing comedy um so well i it's always when i say the comedians that i sort of are my favorite um so sort of like stuart lee is uh, is a big comedian um that I, well, a big yeah that i really like who's someone yeah. i've always gone to see so some i think some i sort of try and i've done some stuff that's sort of how he has his style um by burnham someone that i always enjoyed um ali wong someone and then hannah gadsby is now is another who's another autistic comedian yeah, um, who I who really enjoy, um, but I think it's just more of sort of the sort. Of, I used to watch a lot of just like silly sketch shows, but it's a lot of animation and stuff that used to always influence me. Just the jokes that were said in those. I think even even if I said Wallace and Gromit, that's still there's there's they've got all that they've got jokes and stuff. So I'd be inspired by yeah, <laughs> by yeah them. because like yeah because with like Wallace promise and then you you said you like you do social media sketches and. You know, like, as you said, there's definitely jokes with that. And, you know, like, yeah, as you said, it's just, like, the silliness in it. And, you know, because it's, like, that slapstick, you know, that kind of physical comedy that, as, like, you were not always reflected on stage. But I suppose, like, start getting, like, your love of comedy and your first love of comedy, the those, like, cartoons that you've grown up with and, you know, like, seen as a child, do, like, kind of, like, spark the love of comedy. And so, like, you know, look, those will always some, be something that you have and you know you know your old does an inspiration and because like you know there's a lot of things to be said about how funny like cartoons or like co- you know like animations like that can be quite funny yeah no de- yeah definitely I think that that's one thing that I would I would watch a lot of animation and I think even as a kid I was watching the Muppets a lot and you know you've got Fozzie Foz- Bear I would say yeah. is, a, is a big inspiration for me because he's just a stand-up he's a stand-up comedian that tells yeah. 
some terrible jokes, but it's stuff that always makes me laugh because it's so silly. So I think that's one thing that big thing that it sort of influenced me as well. The things that I watched as a kid. Yeah. And I think with like Fossey Bells, you say it's terrible jokes, but you know, like I think with like the whole Muppet thing, it's like they know how to like me, you know, like probably because this character isn't actually funny, you know, like I mean, he's kind of got that. You know, like you know, like that charm sense of appeal, you know, like so yeah, you're gonna like naturally gonna laugh with him. And so like I think sometimes like it because like I think even though like some as you said it is jokes enough, like but like you could easily I think like I could easily watch a stand up special for for <laughs> you pair. Yeah, you know, I, de- I definitely could. <laughs> you know, I would watch that. Yeah, that would that would be great to see. I would yeah. I would watch an hour long special from him, yeah. <laughs> Yeah, yeah, because like I, I think you know, like com- like comedy can work, you know, like like with a set of bad jokes. If you can like know how to like play it or act act on it, and because you know, like as I say, it's like quite clever and quite hard to fact to craft. And you know, like if you know how to do a silly good, that's quite something remarkable. And you know, like it's easy to do anything as silly as whatever with that. Yeah, I think that's that's what that's one thing that I have seen before. I've seen I've seen people that do sort of character acts where they will come on stage and tell some of the worst jokes, but it's the way that they do it and the the way that they sort of the style that makes you laugh, even if they're terrible jokes, you still find something funny yeah. with it because they've delivered it in such a good way. Yeah, and I guess it was influences like kind of like I saw you like not like not to take the comedy seriously and not to. Like at, at times, even though you probably do over, like end up overthinking that things naturally. Like if you can't kind of end up having a bad gig or like you know, like doubt yourself as you know, it's a natural human thing to do. But it's like I guess I'm reminded like not to take things too seriously and just have fun with the comedy you're doing. Yeah, no, that's that's the thing. I've I've over the past yeah few years, I've just realised that I've just got to have fun with what I do and enjoy what I'm doing, and I think. The one thing that has helped is with with TikTok and Instagram. I've even if I'm not doing comedy gigs, I've still been able to get sketches out and write things, and sort of that helps when I'm not doing comedy that I can still get comedy content out there as well. Yeah, and like from now you've been able to develop doing different comedy styles, and you know, talk about different things, and like basically wouldn't be able to win like like a stand up gig. Yeah, and that's been great for yourself. So, is there anything else you want to say that you haven't done a podcast yet? Um, no, I think I think this is it's been great. I've been able to speak about the things that I yeah I want to speak about. Yeah, um, yeah. and at the end of the podcast, I tend to ask one question. It might sound quite difficult, but I I just say just go go with what every first thing that comes to your mind and there might be more thinking it but obviously what one thing like you would change the world that could help new divergent people or like you like yourself in general like that to just to like help and make things easier in the world what what would that be um i think if there was more information out I, i there is a lot of information out there but there's still i feel like it sort of gets hidden away. So I, I, I wish there was more information out there for, for the whole world to, to know more about neurodivergent people. Uh, so it's like champion of good information, you know, like yeah. and following what, what uh, neurodivergent people have to say and, you know, making sure that the platforms are uplifted and listened to it. Yeah, because I still feel like a lot of people don't sort of, I still feel like a lot of people do look down on neurodivergent people and I wish... 
They didn't, but I still feel like there is still yeah. there's, there's there's we've have come a long way, but I still feel like yeah. there's a there's a lot more that can still be yeah, done. Yeah, to be done. Yeah, and it's important that people are still you know uh, flying the flag for it. And so, like I always ask, you know, like if there's anyone thing you want to promote uh, social media or, or you know like any other things you got going on, like if you got any comedy gigs coming up, if you got any stuff like that. So, anything like that you want to say? Uh, so I've just got my like I've just got TikTok and my Instagram, which is Vegan Luke, um, and then I should have some shows coming up um, soon. I've got my whole hour-long show, um, Bad Movies, um, coming to Camden Fringe in August, um, but I'll be announcing that on online soon. So I guess it's if you want to see you live and doing your stand-up comedy, follow you on social media there. Yeah, 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 we'll update it and find the links to where you can purchase tickets and. Uh, event events and thanks you Luke for coming on the podcast thank you so much for having me it's been great and thanks again to Luke Poulton for joining me on the Artistically Asked Neurocast podcast the top podcast which sees me talking to the neurodivergent people which allows them to share their stories and allows their voice on platform to discuss neurodivergent issues disability issues queer and LGBTQ issues as well as whole other spectrum of uh, issues on a podcast that they may not have anywhere else, a free platform for people to do so, to be able to have a voice where they might not have. I hope you enjoyed this episode of the podcast, and as I said earlier on in the interview, in the episode even, I hope you you can uh, subscribe to this, share it with like friends and family, and mix and uh, put this on social media, county follow and, you know, promote this uh, episode on the podcast series. Make sure you share it and give a positive review. And if you got any feedback, you, ca- you can direct that to ne- at New Rainbow Project on Instagram, TikTok and Facebook. You can also email newcast at com. That's newcast at a-A-R-O-C-R-E-O.com if you got any queries. And thank you. This has been hosted by me, Autistically Al. And this is Newcast, a uh, new for the New Rainbow Project, produced by Arrow Audio. Until next time, have a good time.